Hi there, it's Adam Leventhal here. Welcome to the Athletics Premier League Countdown podcast. With the return of the 2019-20 season only days away now, we're releasing 20 shows on the Ornstein and Chapman feed, each one dedicated to a different Premier League team. That is two podcasts a day, every day up until football returns. Now, if you're not already a subscriber, you can sign up right now and take advantage of our 30-day free trial simply by going to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman to enjoy the best football writing anywhere just as the season makes its return. Now, in this episode, we are on to the champions-elect Liverpool, who were 25 points clear of Manchester City in second place at the point the season was put on. On hold, and we can welcome the Athletics' dedicated Liverpool writers, Simon Hughes. Hello to you. Thanks, Adam. And James Pierce is also with us. Hi, James. Hi, Adam. You okay? I'm very well indeed, uh, guys. Of course, you also feature alongside uh, Steve Huthersall on our Liverpool Club podcast, The Red Agenda. Uh, just tell us uh, who's the uh, Firmino to who's Mane when it comes to the pod. <laughs> I think I'm definitely the Firmino, the, the selfless one. He take Simon takes the glory. <laughs> I'll agree with that. Go on. <laughs> He'll take it. Now I can just tell by your voices that a huge weight has been lifted. The fact that we are actually going to restart this season and Liverpool are on the verge of being crowned champions. Just sum up the emotions, James. First of all, from from you um, covering Liverpool Football Club, have they been very open? Have they been uh, very eager to share their feelings during this lockdown period? And then I'll I'll maybe come to to Simon, who can maybe sum up. Uh, what it's been like to be a, a Liverpool fan. But James, first of all, you. Yeah, I think it's been a really tricky one for, for Liverpool to handle. And I think f- for the most part, they've kind of kept their counsel throughout, you know, what's been a three months has probably felt like three years. Um, you know, I think with with so much going on around the world and with so, you know, so much devastation as a result of this virus, I think they've been very careful not to leave themselves open to you know any accusations of 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 just thinking about themselves and and the the glory of being crowned champions i think it has been a bit of a roller coaster with all the different possibilities and permutations that have been stuck on the table and some clubs in the premier league initially certainly putting forward the idea of just null and voiding the season and you wondered whether we would ever get to this point where where Liverpool were were once again within touch and distance of the title so um you know i think behind the scenes certainly you know, Liverpool have done everything they can to to try and show and encourage other clubs that getting the show back on the road was was possible and 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 safe to do so. And yeah, finally now after such a such a grueling long haul, they um they are now on on the brink of, of finally ending that thirty year uh, wait for the the top flight crown. Simon, just give us that insight into to what it's like been being a Liverpool fan during this period of time when you think mm. we're so close. We are so, so close. And it and it could still be be stolen from us. Yeah, well, I think um, you know, there's sort of a generational divide, I guess, in the Liverpool fan base at the moment, in that, you know, there's there's people like me who, you know, I, I can't remember what nineteen ninety looked like or felt like at the time. You know, I was too young. I've got not absolutely no recollections of, of the last title, and you know, for the last thirty years, I probably most days tried to, or at some point, envisage what it would be like and how that would feel. You know, to, to see you know the the team that you've grown up supporting win what has been elusive for such a long period of time, and 
you always think about sort of the celebrations more than anything else, more than the actual match. Not it's not necessarily what happens inside the ground. It's 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 outside the ground and the weeks and uh, the days, weeks and months afterwards. Um, how that would feel. So it's been very unusual. Um, I mean, I, I've got to say, I, th- I think Liverpool supporters generally and as as people have have, have handled this um, this pandemic very well. You know, I, I haven't seen too much complaining or griping about the way the way this has transpired because i think people are sensible enough really you know certainly on merseyside you know an area which is a lot of bad things that have happened on merseyside over a number of decades i think people are sort of understanding so you know people have been pretty understanding and patient about it and um i mean when they do eventually win the league it'll be interesting to see how people react i've only seen people really respecting social distancing policy uh, around Liverpool, I know there's isolated pockets of, of people not doing that, but that that's uh, that's across the country. So, yeah, it's going to be a strange moment, I think. But nevertheless, I think it doesn't detract from the sporting achievement because, as you said, Liverpool 25 points ahead when they? when the when the when the uh, lockdown started. Um, I think it's important to remember that. And Simon, you mentioned that you know the impact on Liverpool fans outside of you know the, the stadium, and if we actually focus on where now this Merseyside derby, uh, which is going to kick it all off, is going to be played. It's been confirmed that it's going to be at Goodison Park. You've written about some of the criticisms of football fans in general and the the lack of faith, seemingly, uh, that led us down the path of of potentially playing at, at neutral venues. What's your understanding of how this situation is going to be managed and, and I know you've spoken about Liverpool fans, you know, showing good faith, but how is it actually going to play out around Goodison Park with that key Merseyside derby going on inside? Well, I mean, to, to bring everybody up to speed, I mean, it, it's obviously only been given the go-ahead today, you know, to, to, for the derby to be played at Goodison Park. And it's been, you know, it's been a very strange period because it, the, the article that you mentioned there where, you know, sort of decides to write about the way football fans are spoken about and written about in in different terms to to the general public you know we've seen people out on beaches you know reasonably sized gatherings in different parts of the country you know without a great deal of outrage without i guess a great deal of coverage in the um in the media yet you can imagine when the first sort of group of football supporters do it it'll be plastered everywhere and you know it seems like you know that there's no evidence to suggest that that the Liverpool fans would act any differently in these circumstances. I mean, I think I wrote that article three or four weeks ago, and that obviously the the, the the sort of the outlook and the situation has changed considerably since then. You know, the the curve has obviously um, flattened and then decreased, and you know that's made it possible to to get the derby, uh, the derby played at Goodison Park, and for a period of time, you know, the the, the quest for for neutral venues, which I just thought was a very haphazard way of dealing with things that was initially promoted really by the premier league to try and get the, the conversation off the ground you know to, to to ensure that project restart had a starting point because you know i get the impression the premier league would have played games on the moon if they could have done um but th- that then sort of became a conversation for you know different people in authority and police officers who as far as i was concerned um you know they were having a, a conversation about the concerns around public disorder which was never really ever the concern. I mean, there have been very few examples of public disorder at any football matches, you know, across the country. Uh, but for some reason, Liverpool were being singled out. Particularly, you know, Liverpool games, the behaviour of fans over a number of years has been very good at Premier League matches. So 
the conversation really should have been about public health and the, the potential of, of, of mass gatherings around that. Now, I mean, I, I think, as I said before, I think people in, on Merseyside who this is going to impact on, you know, immediately because, you know, I, I still don't think people are going to travel from other parts of the country, from other parts of Europe. You know, Liverpool's got a global fan base. You're not going to see that decampment onto Merseyside. So, you know, I, I think people on Merseyside generally have, have, have been very respectful of, of the social distancing laws. And I don't see why that would would change, you know, in an instance on a Sunday night, say if Liverpool do clinch the title against Everton at Goodison Park. Um, I mean, I, I've got this funny feeling that, you know, it might be taken out of Liverpool's hands. In, in some ways, there's been so much planning around this game, but it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Manchester City ends up losing both of their games to Arsenal and Burnley. And Liverpool don't beat Everton and then, you know, win the title without without kicking a ball on the night. You know, <laughs> that football throws up uh, circumstances like that. And I just I just wouldn't be surprised. Um I mean as you asked the question about um planning around the ground. I mean that that's obviously been going on uh, for the last week, uh well, for a number of weeks. But I think that'll only accelerate over the next um ten days now when, you know, we we'll find out a bit more. I mean the club the, the encouraging thing is the club and the fan bases and the, the, the pressure groups and supporter groups have open open dialogue. Um, and, you know, it's quite clear that the, the managers and players are going to play a big role in this and ensuring that people, people uh, behave responsibly. Well, fingers crossed, all goes to plan at Goodison Park and uh, on the outskirts as well. Um, James, I wanted to talk to you about uh, the transfer that... Uh, didn't happen with Timo Werner and it looked as if you know all the hard work that Jurgen Klopp was uh, was doing on the transfer there was talks of you know WhatsApp conversations and things like that was going to pay off but he obviously now looks as if he's almost certainly heading to Chelsea is, is that a hit for Liverpool or do you think Jurgen and, and the, the team and the powers that be will just roll with those punches? Certainly a disappointment yeah I think certainly if you rewind to before the coronavirus pandemic you know, Timo Werner looked looked destined to, to to join Liverpool this summer, um, as as has been documented on the Athletic a number of times. We we knew that that Klopp had had, had spoken with the the German international, and that you know, I don't think Timo Werner could have done any more earlier on in the season to make it clear that he had his heart set on a on a move to Liverpool. But yeah, I think it's it it, it just kind of rams home the impact of of coronavirus on on even a club as, as big and as successful in recent years as, as Liverpool, because, um, you know, ultimately with the hit, the finances have taken the, the powers that be felt they just couldn't justify what, you know, what is essentially a hundred million pound deal with, you know, 54 million pound in a transfer fee and, and probably the, you know, essentially the same again in, in wages. So, um, you know, I think Klopp summed it up perfectly in an interview we did with Sky Germany a couple of days ago when he said, you know, it's very difficult to justify doing a deal like that when you're also in the process of speaking to your existing players about taking pay cuts and, and wage deferrals. So, um, yeah, definitely a disappointment because I think despite the, the huge success Liverpool have had, I think, you know, and I, and I share this belief with a lot of fans that, that there is a big drop off between the, the calibre of the, the front three who, you know, for me are the best front three in Europe, but but what Klopp has in reserve if if something happened to to one of the three of them. Um, so I think you know, Werner would have been perfect for Liverpool. I think he, you know, he would have ticked a lot of boxes stylistically. And I think at the age of 24, I'd have loved to have seen him come to Liverpool and see what Klopp could have done with him when you look at the way in which he's developed a lot of players there. But um, in the end, I think it, it, it just shows the, the difference in the two business models between Liverpool and Chelsea because 
you know, FSG, the way they run Liverpool. It's, you know, they've built the club up unbelievably over the last 10 years, but the club has to live within its means. And when finances have taken a big hit, it means there's a lot less money to, to invest into the squad. Whilst, you know, Chelsea with Roman Abramovich, you know, it's a different approach where he's willing to bankroll things to a, to a greater extent. And, and also the fact that Chelsea are playing catch-up. You know, Liverpool have been so far ahead of Chelsea this season. They're in a position where I think they need to take risks at the moment. Liverpool don't feel, they felt it just wasn't necessary for them to, to take a gamble to that extent financially. What, if any, will the impact be on... Firmino, I mean, I suppose lesser so for, for Mane and Salah because it, it was more likely um, that Werner would have played through the middle. Do you think that the fact that it's been very public that they did want Werner will have any impact on on how Firmino thinks about his, his longer-term future? Or, or is that such a first-choice three that maybe Jurgen Klopp's actually avoided a headache by, by not actually getting Werner? It, it was well known that if if Werner was had had have come in, he he would have been coming in as as backup anyway. It wasn't as if Klopp was looking to to. It wasn't really a threat. I wouldn't say to to any of that existing front. If anything, one major consideration was the fact that the Africa Cup of Nations was scheduled for January next season and would have potentially deprived Liverpool of Mane and Salah um, for five six weeks. Now you know we're now expecting due to the fact they're so far behind with the qualifying rounds that AFCON will get delayed back potentially to 2022. So that that alleviates that headache. So no, I, I don't think there'll be any lasting issues for this. And also, I think from Klopp's point of view, you know, frustrating, obviously, that finances have, have dictated with, with the pandemic that he couldn't get this deal done. But he he's expecting a hell of a lot more next season from Minamino, who um, you know, I don't think he's, he's yet to start a Premier League game since he came in from Salzburg in January. Um, you know, he's a very versatile forward, can play across the front line. And and certainly in Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones, two really talented young players coming through um, who will continue to act as, as backup for that illustrious front three. Simon, I wanted to ask you about Jurgen Klopp and um, how highly thought of he is, obviously, at, at Anfield. I mean, how... How far does the adulation go? Is is he creeping up on you know the the legends of Bob Paisley and and Bill Shankly, or is or is that a little bit too soon? Even though he has won the Champions League and he's about to become a, a Premier League winner, I think um, I think it's a bit too soon. I mean, I, I think he he's obviously getting there, but to to really reach that level of of uh, adulation, I think he'd have to stay for a number of years and and, and build um, build a dynasty. Really, I mean, he's he's obviously it feels like he is building a dynasty because year on year Liverpool have improved. It's going to be hard for them to do that ne- next season because of the number of points that they've accrued to get to this point. But I, I do think that if, if he stays that stays around for long enough, you know, he he will be he will be thought in those terms. I mean, he's done. I, I actually think you know at this stage he might not have that level of adulation, although he is he is loved. But I, I do feel that. If he um, the, the the job that he's actually done, you can't make the comparison to, to somebody like, you know, the, the, well, to, to the job that Shankly did. I think. I mean, I know Bill Shankly took took the club on in the second division, and you know there was a lot to do. But you know, taking Liverpool on um, when you know twenty five years after the last title, you know that that the amount of pressure on that job and the challenge of getting Liverpool, heaving Liverpool to where they are now was enormous when he took over. I mean, Liverpool was so far away. From from this point, you know, it, it was incredible, really. And you know, we, we, we there was an improvement within the first couple of months, really. I mean, that that season, 
the first season started off really badly and, you know, suddenly they were in two cup finals. Okay, they lost in those finals. But you could just see, you know, that he that he um he had something different and, you know, he, he knew exactly where he wanted to take the club. So I do I do think, you know, when, when history looks back on this period, if Liverpool go on to, to dominate like, you know, supporters want them to, because I think that's important, you know, that the, the owners remember that. He, he could definitely end up in that category of manager, you know, that amongst the, the real legendary managers. I mean, to, to be the first manager to win Liverpool the league in, in 30 years. James, I wanted to ask you, because you, you, um, you sort of mentioned about um, Minamino and sort of improving players and sort of planning for, for next season. Is this final run of games, obviously if the, if the title is wrapped up early, are we going to learn a little bit more about the future Liverpool side? Are we going to see tinkering? And perhaps are we going to learn a little bit more about areas that he might want to improve upon in what is going to be a, a difficult transfer window? Yeah, I think 100% we'll see tinkering and experimentation in the in the closing matches once once that title has been and mathematically secured. I think um, certainly Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones, and Nico Williams are probably the three youngsters at the front of that queue. Um, you know, Liverpool are already saying that they're not even thinking about potential loans for them next season. Klopp sees the three of those as as having a, a bigger part to play around the the senior setup. So. Um, so yeah, I think you know. He, obviously, Adam Lallana this week has signed a. You know, he was a free agent from the end of June, but he will be sticking around for the remaining nine games. But um, you know, Lallana knows himself that that Klopp will be building for the future. So I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily expect someone like Lallana to feature much because for 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 those youngsters and certainly for Minamino, who's had a, a difficult period of of adaptment to English football. You know, obviously not helped by the long lockdown. For those players, it's a it's a big opportunity to, to show the manager that they can have a, a bigger role to play next season. And I think you probably throw someone like Naby Keita into that mix as well. Two years into his Liverpool career, the jury's still out a little bit, not, not been able to deliver consistently. You know, can, can he go out and show in these final games that he should be a mainstay of the team? Because I think it is going to be a quiet transfer window for Liverpool. Because not only does coronavirus have an impact in terms of the incomings, but I think also in terms of the outgoings, because... You know, rewind to January, February time, and there was talk of potentially generating 40, 45 million pounds from selling players like Harry Wilson and Marco Gruich and potentially Lovren and Shakiri, who I think probably will still move on this summer. But you know, certainly for players like Wilson and Gruich, I think it wouldn't surprise me if, um, if because the, the fees on offer are much lower, that Liverpool decide to hold on to those two for, for an extra 12 months. And just a final question to, to either of you, whoever's got the, the intel on this, um, in terms of when the title is actually won, obviously we're in a very difficult situation and you know it, it's an historic moment, but you don't want to be overboard when it has been such a difficult time for so many people around the country. What are the actual plans for the, the crowning uh, ceremony and maybe allowing some sort of public uh, gathering with social distancing to, to unfold in some way. Has that been discussed? Is there some planning going on behind the scenes? Well, I mean, I, I, Jürgen Klopp spoke recently about this, about how, you know, how he, he anticipates the reaction. Um, and, he, he, you know, I think it's quite clear that Liverpool will celebrate it, but only when the time is right. So there's every chance that Liverpool might not have a title parade until later on this year at the earliest. You know, it's going to be, pretty strange watching them, you know, just even lift the Premier League trophy. You know, when, when you think about the, the absolute joy on 
Jordan Henderson's face uh, last last June when they went to Madrid and um, the scenes after that achievement. I mean, I, it's not going to be like that, is it? But I think, you know, when the time is right, you know, Liverpool will celebrate it. Um, but yeah, for the, for the time being, I think I think it's just been total. From what I can tell, you know, the, the focus has been about just getting football back and making sure that games are being played. I think you know the the, the celebrations. You know, it's quite clear that at the moment that won't be able to have any public events. So yeah, it'd be up to the club to come up with something perhaps a bit more creative later on in the year. Okay, well we will see what happens. Uh, we wish you all the very best for the the final run in of games, James and Simon. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, Adam. Cheers, Adam. And just a reminder for you, if you're not already subscribing to The Athletic, make sure that you go to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman to enjoy all of uh, James and Simon's articles on Liverpool. You can currently take advantage of a 30-day free trial if you want to try it out before committing to a full subscription. And with that, you'll enjoy all the best football writing as the Premier League makes its long-awaited return. And Liverpool fans, just a reminder for you, uh, make sure that you subscribe and listen to The Red Agenda, available on all good podcast providers for free and ad-free via The Athletic app. Uh, They'll bring you the very best coverage of uh, Liverpool throughout the rest of the season and beyond. And keep an eye out on this podcast feed and the Athletic app to hear all 20 of our Premier League countdown podcasts. We've done plenty already and there are many more to come, each one dedicated to a different team. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back soon with the next one. (music) 